Welcome to the Press Pass Podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, and today we are joined by New York Times bestselling author and writer for The Ringer, Shea Serrano. Shay, thank you very much for being here today. What up, boy? What up, boy? All right, so to start, <laughs> the, whole back, uh, the whole premise to this interview is just a great, you know, opportunity to help share your story as far as how you got to where you are as an author as a writer so how about just in your own words how would you describe kind of your journey from when you first started writing to where you are now at the ringer and writing books Ooh, that's, a, that's a that's a long story um i started i started freelancing when i was this is several years ago back when i was teaching still and uh, was able to like wiggle my way into a couple of different places, uh, local, like local neighborhood newspapers, which was still a thing back then. You could go to, you go to like a restaurant. There's a pizza place by by our house, for example, or that we went to, and they had little newspapers in there. And those newspapers it was like Houston Community News or something was a network, and each one would cover like a small section of the city. So like, mm. you know, this is where you would get it if you wanted to find out like if the high school won their football game or or whatever and that's i was like writing for places like that and then i got on at the i got on at the houston press which was like a big deal and they're still around actually they're just all digital now but i started freelancing there and then was able to like make a little name for myself as the the houston rap guy Mm -hmm. Uh, and then i was you know once you once you have like a thing like that you can pitch bigger places so then whenever uh, like Houston rap thing would happen, I would pitch MTV, for example, or, or Complex, and be like, "Hey, here's an idea. You should let me write it because I've been writing about these, these people already for like four four years or whatever." And you're just like slowly working your way working your way up. And somewhere during that time, I wrote a thing for the LA Weekly, which is like a sister paper of the Houston Press. Excuse me. And Molly Lambert saw it. She was working at Grantland at the time, which was Bill Simmons' old site. And she reached out and was like, hey, this is cool. Do you want to pitch us some stuff? And I was like, of course, I would love to pitch you all some stuff. And that's how I ended up like in Bill's orbit. And I started freelancing for them. And it was like, all right, I'm going to pitch them once every couple of weeks. And I got one thing on. I got two things on. And I was like, oh this is cool because they, they, they were paying really well. <laughs> like if I wrote, if I wrote like a blog post for, for like the, the Houston community newspapers, for example, um, you could go like, I could write a print thing and it'll be 50 bucks. But that, but part of that was like, okay, I've got to drive to the game to the like high school football game. I've got to watch the game. I've got to interview the players and the coaches afterward. I've got to write the like 50 bucks for, for like seven hours of work or something like that. So less than $10 an hour. But I could write for the for Grantland, and they would pay. They were paying like three hundred bucks for a blog post, twelve hundred bucks if you had like a, a a story that led the site or like a feature that you reported. Probably more than that. I don't know. I never wrote one of those. <clears throat> but so I started writing for them, and I was like, oh, this is better because I, I don't have to write six things for this other place. I can just write one for them, and then I just started pitching them all the time. You know, once every two weeks, once every week, a couple times a week. I'm just like. Once you get once you get that uh that foot in, then you sort of see what you can make happen. And I did that for a while. I freelanced with them, and then they offered me a, a like a position there. And I was still again, this was all while I was teaching, and I was still uh, I was still a little nervous about leaving teaching because I just I really loved it, 
and also everybody's always talking about like how perilous it is trying to make it as a as a writer and so I did a part-time contract and we did that for a year and I was like all right I'm teaching still full-time but now I'm no longer freelancing everywhere I'm just only writing for Grantland we did that for a year I really enjoyed it and coming up on the end of that year Bill and Chris Ryan called me and they're like hey you know you should come you should do it full-time now like let's see what happens we would really like it Um, I think you would really like it and let's just give it a shot. And, and Chris Ryan is like a very convincing, charming guy when you talk to him on the phone or in real life. And so by the time I got on the phone with him, I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to give it a try. So that was that was July of 2015 when I left teaching. I started working at Grantland. And then three months later, Grantland closed. And I was like, oh, cool. Welcome to welcome to being a writer. And that's how that's what happened. Um, so one of the one of the like an interesting part of this though is when they closed Grantland, I was under contract for a year. I signed a, a contract from July to July, and they were like, "Well, we can either a let you out of your contract and you can go like write other places, or b we can just pay out your contract and you're probably not going to write anything for like ESPN. Um, mm-hmm. If we, if we need you, we might ask, but more than likely not." Um, what do you want to do? And I was like, Oh, I, I'll take the, I'll take eight months of like paid leave basically. <laughs> and so I did that. And then during that time, Bill and Chris and Sean and Juliet and uh, Mallory started the ringer. And when I saw that pop up on the internet, I was like, Ooh, I hope they hope they give me a call. Uh, I had planned on just going back to teaching and I wasn't like too, too worried about it. Um, but they, thankfully they, I got that phone call and they're like, Hey, you want to come work? work for us again and I was like yes I do and that was three years ago a little over three years ago so now here we are baby yeah here we are you're uh yeah that's quite quite the journey now you did say you know you started off as a teacher are there certain qualities to teaching or certain ways that you approach teaching that you carried over to your writing career uh yeah there are like bigger ideas and and smaller more specific idea bigger idea for example is like you can't walk into a classroom and, and be unprepared. It just, it ends up bad for every person involved. You've got to, you've got to do your work ahead of time. You can't, you don't want to show up like, you know, school starts at eight fifteen, homeroom starts at seven forty-five. You can't get there at seven and be like, hmm, I wonder what we're going to do today. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to be doing your lesson plans. You've got to have all of your materials for your labs prepared. I was teaching science. You've got to have all your materials prepared. You've got to like, you know, you need you need big eyes here. You need to look forward a few weeks and know what everybody's going to be doing. The kids respond really well when they know exactly what they're going to be doing, exactly when they're going to be like responsible for the stuff they're responsible for. Thank you. After a couple of weeks of coming in the class, the kids are like, all right, cool. From this time to this time, we're answering a problem that he's going to have on the board. From this time to this time, he's going to like talk to us about a thing. And then from this time to this time, we're going to do a lot. Like it was the same, the same structure. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you just want to really be prepared it's the same thing with with writing like like when you messaged me for this interview and i call and i called you and i or text you or emailed you back and i was like hey can we do it an hour earlier and you were like cool yeah that's no problem because you had already done all of the work you, you did all the research already you knew all the questions you were going to you were going to ask like you need that sort of attitude when you're when you're a writer you've got to just be prepared for whatever's going to happen whenever it's it's going to happen that's like a bigger a bigger view of it, a smaller, more specific thing is like, um, whenever I'm writing, I approach it very much the same way as when I'm, 
when I'm teaching, like if I'm teaching, if I was teaching a lesson by the end of the class period, I needed for the kids to like know a thing and understand a thing. There was a point I was trying to make, be it like going over the phases of the moon or how to balance a chemical equation or anything like that. <clears throat> Same thing with writing. Whenever I'm writing a thing, there's a point I'm trying to make that I'm trying to like, by the end of this article, you should have all of this information and here you go. And, you know, similar in, in that regard, really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then as far as, um, I mean, obviously, you know, your pitches and your role as a writer have evolved a lot since you were doing those high school stories. Did you always kind of have these more creative ways to look at articles and sports from a different angle and just didn't have an opportunity to really air them out to a proper publication? Or did you kind of, you just took, you know, started off as a high school beat guy and then tried to just sort of evolve from there? Uh, I started out, I was, I was terrible in the beginning. I'm probably still terrible now, honestly. Uh, but no, I, when you first start out, you don't know. I didn't know. I'm sure there are some writers that just show up and they like know how they want to write and what they're going to write. I was just straight up trying to copy other, other high school football beat writers that I'd seen. And I'm like, Oh, okay. This is, this is like, here's how you start a story. You need a quote in here by this point in the story. Um, you need a, a kicker at the end and they're like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I was just, just learning all of that stuff. And it wasn't until I got at the, to the Houston press and was able to, to pitch stuff that I figured out. It's really helpful if you're pitching stuff that other people aren't pitching. So you, you have to like figure out a way to, to write a thing or come up with a thing that makes sense at a place, but that also they, they haven't been doing yet. So like if I'm pitching a story to the big lead, I'm like, oh, I would like to write for the website. Uh, I'm not going to pitch y'all something that you wouldn't run, but I'm also not going to pitch something. I'm not going to pitch uh, this podcast to y'all because you're already doing it. You already have people who can who can do that. You've got to you've got to figure out a new way to write about something that they're already that place is already writing about. And once I figured that out, then I was like, all right, cool. The the only way that I can do that is to just like you know, I don't know, spend a little bit extra time thinking of stuff, try to figure out smarter ways to get into topics because ultimately everybody's writing about like the same seven things or whatever. Um, you just have to figure out your way in that nobody else is doing. Yeah. Just got to kind of find, yeah, like you said, find that way. Was there one article or piece in particular from your early part of your career, maybe when you were at Land, you're still just writing for the Houston papers that sort of made you realize like, okay, I can do this. Um, one of the, excuse me, one of the first big stories that I did was, was about movie piracy. It was a cover story for the Houston press. And I was, I had, I had like backed my way into a conversation with a person who, this is again, this is like pre-internet, pre-internet movie piracy, really. Uh, this is when you like would go to the flea market and you could buy like a five dollar DVD of a movie that was in the theater, and the and and these were not like the the ones you can watch online now where like it's got Chinese subtitles on there, but it's HD quality. This was like somebody was going into a movie theater and recording it with a camcorder, and so I, I happened my way into a conversation with a person who did that. And I was like, this is really, it. he was showing me like, okay, here's how we set it up. Like I'll, I'll walk you through it. I never forgot this, but he was like, all right, here's what we, what we do. 
you go to the movie theater and you have to order a large popcorn and you also have to get movie theaters have like a like hearing devices that people can like basically headphones you can plug in to like make it easier to hear if you have any sort of um, problem with your hearing so what he would do is he would get this this large popcorn he would have like these zip ties um, and then he would get this hearing device and he would go in the theater and he would just take the popcorn he would dump it out he would real quick cut the bottom out of it he would zip tie the camcorder onto the armrest like in between two seats aim it so that it was at the screen then he would cut a little hole out of the like front of the popcorn container and put it so now you've got the popcorn sitting over the camera the camera's like looking through the the hole because you can't you know because they do like scans to see if anybody's doing this they were doing it a lot at the time uh, he would do that and then he would plug the camcorder with whatever auxiliary cord into the hearing device so you would get like a better sound rather than just trying to record it off of there and he could do this he could do this in like 35 seconds or something crazy like that and so i wrote a i wrote a story about him and uh and this was like the first time i like reported a story i talked to him i talked to like the motion picture association of america i talked to people who were like fighting global movie piracy uh that and that was the first time when i was like oh i i think i might be able to do this because if you can write a story like that that's real that's real writing that's real reporting if you're just going out and getting it if you can do that um if you if you learn that part of it then the rest of it is like all right cool i can write about a song that i liked or whatever you know what i'm saying it's all the same you're you're doing you're doing all the same stuff there's like a, a level of work that needs to go into it and if you're going to do the work, then cool, the story will come out good. And if you're not, then it won't. Yeah, that's uh, it's quite an operation by that guy. Although I do feel a little bad for the movie uh, movie theater people who go into the theater afterwards and find a uh, popcorn box with a couple of holes cut I, into it. Who knows what they would I be th- thinking? Yeah, I thought about that afterward. So he would he would either uh, he would take the popcorn thing with him and just and just throw it out. But I did wonder, did he ever leave it in there? And then also I wondered if he was going to like the same theater somebody is going to notice at some point i felt like the people who go in there and clean they're like damn there's always like every so often they're just a, a giant pile of popcorn on the floor and this <laughs> is you know what i'm saying like that's weird yeah that would be pretty that would be pretty confuzzling as a movie movie guy but uh that rolls in right into the next part pretty easily which is movies and other things your newest book um it's a really great piece of work again loved it what was your favorite chapter to write in it if you have one my favorite chapter in the new book. Uh, I'm gonna go with. I, I, no, and and like all transparency, that everybody asks me this question, and every time they do, I give a different answer. So um, my my new one today is the Dominic Toretto chapter. It's the last chapter in the book. The the title was like, "What was Dominic Toretto's overall win loss record?" Yeah. And then I just went through. And watched all of the movies and then wrote down every time he like battled something, not just street races, but also like fist fights or whatever. Um, and some of them were serious and some of them were silly. Um, but that was like a fun one to do just because I like those movies. And it was like fun to read about the Fast and the Furious universe for, for a week or two and watch, watch everything and take notes. And I've got like a Dominic Toretto spreadsheet on my computer. That's the <laughs> dumbest thing. Yeah. Or the greatest thing. So you got, you know, 
Yeah, exactly. So you're uh, you're a big Fast and the Furious guy. I know that. If mm-hmm. you choose any of the Fast and the Furious movies to forget and then rewatch again for the first time, which one would it be? Oh, it's going to be the first one, the seventh one, and the fifth one in that order. In that order. In that order. Yeah, absolutely. The the I'm a I'm a traditionalist. I'm a romantic. I like the first one. <laughs> I really, you know, we, it, it's the introduction of. Toretto, like I wrote, I wrote about this this exact thing for the for the chapter. Not like forgetting them and rewatching them, but like the point I'm going to make now, which is there's a scene after Dominic races. We see him race for the first time, and he beats everybody, and he beats Brian. And then they have the great whole back and forth about like ask any racer, any real racer, it don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning like it's this whole thing. And if you rewatch that monologue right there, that one scene, it's, it's two or three minutes long. But in that moment, we see all of the things that Dominic Toretto would eventually become. And nobody, nobody anticipated this when this movie came out, that this was, going to, this was going to be a movie that made $5 billion as a franchise. $5 billion, one of the highest grossing franchises of all time. There's no way you could have known it watching him stalk around that streetcar and like pull Brian's legs off in front of everybody. But watching it now you're like oh this is so obvious this is such an incredible movie creation this makes so much sense so i would like to i would like to watch that one and then the seventh one is like the most emotional especially the big the big brian send-off at the end and then Mm -hmm. the fifth one is just the fifth one is like probably the just out and out best movie in the series Uh, it's it's an it's an incredible movie to watch there's a blowtorch fight in the movie (laughs) and like the first there's a blowtorch fight in the movie and nobody ever talks about the blowtorch fight because there's so much other crazy shit that happens that you forget that there's a blowtorch fight yeah i mean it's easy to forget there's a blowtorch fight when a safe gets dragged through the streets i think that's exactly exactly what what i love about what i love about that is that um, i was watching the stuntman video about this the, the other day and they like that was a real it wasn't cgi it was a real thing that they made Similar to the guy with the popcorn thing, they cut the bottom out of this thing. They set it over the top of a tr- of a truck with the back cut off, and they were driving it around. And they, I mean, it's incredible, man. I don't so, understand why people don't like this series. Yeah, honestly, right? I mean, this is pure entertainment value, if nothing else. Yes, just just sit there and watch it and be and and be excited, like whatever, relax. Exactly. Exactly. When you were writing these and other things, I imagine that on a grand scale, you gained a pretty deep, a deeper perhaps appreciation for a lot of the movies you wrote about. But does any one movie stand out in particular you did research for and you came away being like, wow, that was way better than even I thought it was? You know, that that probably happened during the there's a section in the book where where we go through all of the like big ticket Academy Awards best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, best uh, director, best movie, or whatever. The, the, the six main ones. Uh, oh, supporting actor and actress, those are the other two. And uh, we went from 1995 all the way up until this year. And we were like, okay, these are the people who, these are the movies that won, these are the people who won, and here's who I think should have won. And then I just, you know, make whatever arguments I can for whatever movies. and, and uh, so there were a lot of movies that I, I had never seen before that I had to watch for that. And, uh, and some of them were like, I had never seen, um, 
oh, I'm blanking on the name of it now. It was a the silent film that they did where like it the guy starts to hear at the end. The artist. I'm sitting here with Arturo by the way. Um uh yeah, I'd never seen that before and I had to rewatch it because they taught you know, because it was like a big deal when it came out in like certain circles. So movies like that, it was it was cool to like it was cool to sit down and like have to watch a bunch of movies that I had avoided before just because they didn't have Dominic Pareto in them. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is this is this is cool. Yeah, and if uh, your publisher hands you a blank check and says you can pay yourself whatever and you get to write one more and other things book, what would it be? Uh, the next and other things book is is going to be one or two things. So there are only four things that I like, like four big pop culture buckets. I like rap. Uh, or music i like movies i like television and i like basketball mm-hmm. and we did basketball and other things we've done movies and other things so that leaves us with two it's either going to be television and other things or rap and other things one of those two i'm not certain yet uh, arturo and i will sit down and we'll have a conversation about like what does he feel like drawing what do i feel like researching because um, he has to research all the same stuff too which is, i think that's the thing a lot of people don't don't realize uh, if I were like, Hey, I've got, you know, we're talking about a league of their own this week. And he's like, all right, I guess I got to watch league of their own. And then I'm like, cool. But also watch these other five movies too. <laughs> um, so we'll have that conversation. What do we feel like spending our time with? And then we'll pick one and then go from there. It'll be one of those two. If I had to guess right now, I would say uh rap just because I've spent so much time watching stuff on TV. Like I might feel like I need a break, but who knows? Who knows, indeed. Now, shifting on to your beloved San Antonio Spurs, just a quick, quick couple of questions on them as far as what you're looking forward to this upcoming year. Uh, they have yeah, a lot yeah. of pretty good young guys to balance out with the veterans. Which young player <clears throat> are you most excited about watching? Uh, it's the same one I was most excited about watching last year, and then he, and then he got hurt. Give me, I'm really interested to see what DeJounte does. Pop runs, pop runs in offense where you need a smart point guard who can like do what needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And we had, we were all, we, it was all set up for DeJounte last season. And then, and then he got hurt in the preseason and was out for the year. And it was like, well, this sucks. This is really, really miserable. Um, but in like a very Spurs sort of Popovichian way, we had a bunch of good stuff happen because of it. Everybody had to get a little bit meaner, a little bit tougher, which I, which I liked. Um, DeMar, DeMar became like, a better version of who he's been. LaMarcus has been great these past couple of seasons. It, it, a rocky start, um, but then he became like, all right, cool, this is the guy. Um, we, if, if I'm looking at new guys, though, excuse me, I'm really, really excited about DeJounte, but also I'm excited about Derek White. Um, what you, what you want to have happen when you know your team isn't going to win a title. We knew the Spurs weren't winning last year. That's fine. Um, but what you want to see happen is you want for there to be a moment in the playoffs when you're like this, he believes now. Remember in, in the, in the, in the matrix when Morpheus is like, he, he he's beginning to believe or whatever the line is yeah, um, yeah. about, about Neo. Like you want one of those moments because the playoffs are like, that's when you find out who a player is. And Derek white had it during the Denver series. He just went nuts in Denver. And you're like, Oh my God, Derek can Derek can do it. You've got you've got Derek coming back now with with all of that confidence pumped into his heart. You've got Dejounte who has been like excited to play for the last two years or whatever, and it's finally going to happen for him. Um, you've got a good 
a good solid group of young guys. Bryn Forbes has been unbelievable. They're shooting the ball. Like I can't remember a time where we had a shooter as like as scary as he is right now. Probably like there have been stretches during Patty Mills's career, like specific like moments I'm picturing in my head, like game in the 2014 playoffs when he went nuts and, mm. and hit all those threes and you know like stuff like that. But uh, but just like a consistent threat. Bryn Bryn is like all right, cool. So we've got like these young guys, and then we also have Demar and, and Lamarcus who are like, all right, cool. We're the leaders. We're going to work. We're going to run this thing. It's going to be a good season, man. It's going to be real good. Yeah. And I think the NBA is, a. I mean, this season is going to be really, really exciting because it's as, I mean, as balanced as it has been since probably before LeBron went to Miami. Yeah. It's a, it's wide open right now. We, so I've been on the, on the tour doing all these book signings and like, that's the thing people ask like, Oh, who do you got in the final? And I've no idea. You're like, Oh, maybe, I don't know the Clippers and the, who comes out of the East? It's, it's, it's going to be like the Pacers or somebody like that. Somebody who's just like, oh, wow, okay, Victor Oladipo went bonkers for six weeks, and now here we are. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Now, to combine both your spurs and your passion for movies, I have this question for you. Let's say you're a movie director, <laughs> director Serrano. Your uh-huh. cast is Tim, Tony, Manu, and Pop. What movie, what type of movie are you making? Uh, and real quick, I want to point out again, this is how I know that you did all your research ahead of time because you're just flowing through these things right now. And that's why, it, and that's why it works. Um, so we're casting, we, we have, we, we need to cast the Spurs and I can put them in any kind of movie I want. Like it doesn't matter. Wide open. Okay. I don't want to do like, a, I don't want to do like a biopic. I don't want to do something like that. I want to do something fun. Um, I want to do like a like a Spurs heist movie. Oh, you know what we're gonna do? I got it. I just thought of it right now. <laughs> we're gonna do a heist movie. It's gonna be a time heist, like oh. in like in Avengers. And we're gonna go back to 2013, and we're gonna get that championship that oh. we lost to Miami. We're we're stealing that. And uh, that's awesome. As far as yeah, as far as like who's playing who, I don't I don't care who we get. Here's who I know I need though. I need Michael Shannon as coach Popovich. I, mm. I would love to, I would love to see that he has the right kind of like actor energy that I'm looking for. And all the rest of the guys, you could do whatever. Give me Michael Pena as, as Manu Ginobili. Give me a, I don't, I don't know, pick, pick, fill in the rest of the blanks. It doesn't matter if we've got those two and we're doing a time heist to go get that championship. I'm in whatever it is. We'll fill in the parts after we sell the movie. Very admirable uh, endeavor as well. Stolen 2013. <laughs> All right, now we're on to the last part, which is just some more fun, quick hitter questions. Uh, what's your go-to spot to eat in San Antonio? My go-to spot to eat in San Antonio is a place called Mendez Cafe. They're only open until 2 p.m. They're closed on Tuesdays. It's a cash-only place. It's run by this, this the Mendez family and... We're going to go there. Me and you are going to go there for breakfast, and we're going to get a bean and cheese taco, a carne asada and cheese taco, and a big red, and we're going to put a lot of the green sauce on there, the green salsa, and it's going to be delicious. You're going to love it. Yeah, mark me down. I'm 100% in on that. What's uh, your favorite interview that you've done so far in your writing career? Oh, like like when I got to talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, you know who I really enjoyed talking to? And this is, I'm going to give you two because I'm, I'm going to go back and forth here. Um, 
Bun B was, was one of the like first big names that I got to interview. And he was super, not only super nice, but also he knew the answer to every single thing. It didn't matter what I threw at him. It sounded like somebody had hacked into my computer, gotten all my questions, emailed them to him a week in advance, and he researched for everything. He was just, he was just straight up like boom, boom. Like it made sense to me while this was happening. Like, oh, of course, this is the guy who's like teaching a class at Rice University. He's just so good at knowing what an answer is and being able to give it to you all at once, fully formed. A lot, like right now when you and I are talking, I'm just like working my way towards something. Mm. He shows up like the meal is already prepared and he's just <laughs> handing it to you. It was, it was incredible. I was like, oh, I would like to do interviews like this one day. I would like to be him in an interview. Uh, so I really liked uh, that one. And then like a, a recent one is I got to talk to John Leguizamo he did the forward for the movie book. And this is a guy who I've looked up to for 20 years. He had a comedy special that came out in 1998 called Freak. And when that movie came, I mean, it, that movie that when that special came out, I remember watching it and being just like, this is the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. He's, I love him and I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. And so when he did the forward for the book and I got to hear him on the other, uh, other end of the line and like he was making jokes and like answering questions very earnestly and he gave me way too much of his time. That was like a big, it was like a, a, a cool moment for me, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, he's really good. I really, I mean, I feel like he's a really underappreciated part of the John Wick universe on a personal, from a personal standpoint. Absolutely. Uh, what's one thing that you, you know, you've been in the industry for a couple of years now. What's one thing about your job you wish you knew back when you were still just traveling around to high schools and writing for 50 bucks a pop? Uh, I wish I knew back then. I don't. I don't know. It all feels like stuff that I was hoping was true. If I can change it a bit, can I change it a little bit? Absolutely. Can I tell you like a thing that I found out was true that I was really excited about is uh, when I started working for Bill. Bill and uh, I mentioned Bill and Chris when they called, and they're like, "You don't have to worry about invoices anymore. You can just we're just going to pay you a salary, whatever." Um, I was I was really nervous about working for Bill because I had, you know, like a lot of sports media people I had read on the internet that he was like kind of a loon. He could be, you know what I'm saying? Like that was a reputation that he had out there, just like kind of unpredictable. And so I was nervous about that and like, oh, what if I screw something up or what if he doesn't like me? And I finally got to meet him in real life. I flew out to L.A. for a thing. And we had like a couple of private conversations and he was like, he, at that time, he was the nicest, just most support, one of the most supportive people that, that I'd like encountered professionally. And then that just continued on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And he, even now, like we've, I've been working under him for a few years now and he's just, he'll, he'll text you and be like, Oh, this was like, a, this was a cool thing. Oh, you should check this out. Oh, how can we help with this? Or how, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I thought, and I thought like, oh, he must, he just must think I'm really special. And then I found out later on, he's doing that with basically everybody. Like Jason, <laughs> for example, it's the same thing. He's just like pulling you aside. He really like, he's really good at that part of the, at that part of the job, like managing, managing the people, managing his team and making you feel like, like you're important and, and he wants you to succeed and he's going to put you in these positions to succeed. Like that was, that was cool to find out. Um, that all of that stuff was like, oh, this is how he is. I really like this, which is a 
you know, why I've been working for him for the last few years. Yeah, he sounds like an all right guy, I'd say. And then finally, <laughs> what's, uh, what's one thing about your job that other people, you feel like other people don't know? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to lean back to what we've sort of been talking about. I think, um, I think people don't understand people who aren't in the industry. They don't understand how much work has to go into all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, even, even if it's like a silly thing, like, even if we're talking about, if me and you have, sit down, we have a conversation about fast and furious for 45 minutes, like to talk about a thing for 45 minutes is hard to do if you're not doing the research that it requires. I, I spend a lot of my time talking about silly things, silly movies, silly ideas, making jokes, whatever. Uh, but I have to like, oh, I always want to make sure I'm being as careful as I can, as respectful as I can about all this stuff, because these are things that I enjoy and things that I, that I like. Um, so I, I get the sense sometimes, I've even had people ask me this thing, like, oh, how did you remember all that? How did you know who won the best picture in 1999? Like, I don't know any of that stuff. Nobody knows any of that stuff, probably. But you <laughs> just sit down and you research and you take your notes. And, and that's, that's how you get there. It's not like I'm not special in any sort of way. I don't have like a special brain, like some like a, up to this, a, a genius writer out there. Wesley Morris, for example, his brain just is like a fucking jet engine. And he can do a, a million things I could never do. It's like a supercomputer. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like that at all. I just, I don't, I just don't mind sitting down for like seven hours and researching to write um, four paragraphs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, I think if, if, if people knew that, then more people would probably be doing the stuff that I'm doing. Cause I'm sure there are people out there better than it, than I am. Yeah. Very insightful. And I think that's good advice for just about any young journalists out there about the importance of preparation. Well, that'll be yeah. it. Shane. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to be on the press pass podcast. Uh, as always, it was a great pleasure chatting with you and uh, hopefully we can chat again sometime. My guy. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Shay. Appreciate it. And you are listening to the Press Pass Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>